0: the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, and we're trying to draw the theme that Jesus is the answer. Um, Now, that phrase, Jesus is the answer, that may seem cliche, like a marketing slogan that exaggerates to get your attention, but to say that he is the answer is not some hyperbole. He really is. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul will go through a wide range of issues, Simple to complex ones, and every single one, he will find a resolution by tracing himself back to the work and person of Jesus Christ. He's the answer. Do you know why? (laughs) And do you know how to do that in your own lives? That's what we're trying to get at in this series. Now, last month, we looked at the first chapter, and Paul's begun to lay the foundations. He's turning our attention away from ourselves and our self-importance, which has only led to divisions, and instead fix our eyes on Jesus, the wisdom and power of God. And then he ends that first chapter with this verse. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to boast in the Lord? That's what I want to unpack this morning. Now the idea behind boasting comes from ancient warfare. When you're about to enter the battle, how do you get soldiers to face their enemies ready to charge with all their passion and all their might, even at the face of almost certain death for many of them? How do you do that? Well, one of the things that the king or the general would do is he would go to the soldiers and he would do a ritual boast. And he'll say something like, We will crush them with our overwhelming might. By tonight they will be dead and we will be the glorious victors. And then the soldiers would respond, Ho, ho, something like that, right? If you remember the movie 300. So it's a war cry. It's a ritual boast. They're boasting in themselves. They're saying, we're this. We're going to do that. And that way, they muster up the courage. And they charge into the battle with confidence. Now, what's interesting is the Bible picks up that idea and applies it to every human heart. The heart knows the world's a battlefield. There's heartbreaks, there's pain, there's death. How do you get yourself ready to deal with the battle? Well, here's what the human heart does. Here's what the Bible says. The human heart says to itself, you know what? I can make it in life because I am this, because I have that. Now, this and that, that may be my beauty, my strength, my talents, my abilities, my resources, Whatever. You're looking at something that you are, something that you have, and you say, this is the reason why I can make it in life. This is the reason why I can find my place in this world. This is the reason why I will win the battle, why I'm significant, why I'm worthy of love. See, we're boasting in ourselves. We're boasting in something about ourselves. Now, the problem with that is the Bible says that kind of self-boasting, it's the opposite of faith, because faith means I can no longer trust myself, I have to cling to God. And so if you, if you know, uh, there's this well-known passage in Jeremiah, here's what he says. He says, "'Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches.'" But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. See, here's what the prophet is saying. The prophet is saying, the rich man tends to look at his riches, and he says to himself, you know what? Life is hard, but I have the purchasing power to turn the tides of the battlehead." Or the smart man tends to look at his smarts, and he says, you know what? Life is hard, but... I think I'm brilliant enough to navigate my way through life. See, it's, it's, they're looking at themselves. That's where their faith is, not in God. And that's the problem. That's a dead end, the Bible says. And then in the New Testament, here's the Apostle Paul now, and he picks up that same idea, and the, the idea of boasting, and then he applies it to our righteousness. You remember in the book of Romans, especially in chapter 3, he says, you have to stop relying on your own righteousness. Don't think that by your own righteousness, you can make, it, make your way through it. You won't. And so you have to rely instead on the righteousness of God. And now in the same way, here's now the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is applying that same idea. And he says, stop relying. Stop boasting in your own wisdom and in your own power. You won't make it. You need to rely on the wisdom and power of God, which is in Christ. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, okay, well, what does that mean? Do you know how to do that? Well, Paul here now in chapter two in our passage this morning, he's gonna use himself as the illustration, right? So let me read that passage to you, chapter two, verse one to five. And I, this is Paul, when I came to you, brothers, of God. See, what Paul's doing is he's talking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, look guys, don't you remember? When I was with you, here's how I did my ministry. I boasted not in me, but in God. So here's how he did it, and here's how we can do it. To boast in the Lord means we boast in the word of the Lord, in the cross of Christ, and in the power of the Spirit. The word, the cross, the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to boast in the word of the Lord? Well, see, Paul says that he came to the Corinthians with the testimony of God. He came, this is what he's all about. Paul is all about the testimony of God, the word of God, the message of God. He didn't come because he had some human idea, (laughs) because he had some cool new human speculation or human invention. He's not here to give a TED Talk. He's here to deliver God's word, because he's not going to bank his life on what men have to say, no matter how fascinating they may be. That's why Paul says, I'm not here with lofty speech or wisdom. Wisdom in this case is human wisdom. Now, let's step back a bit, and let's make sure we're not misinterpreting this passage. Paul is not saying that we should stop using our minds. No, no, no. Neither is Paul saying that we should stop learning anything from the secular world. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I cannot bet my life on what mere men have to say. I have to go to God's word. There are many good things in this world, great things in this world, but none of it can be the main thing that shapes all the other things because only God's Word is the true wellspring that will never dry up. Everything else is the words of humans, just like you and me. Now, for those of us, of course, who have God's Word recorded in the Bible, it's pretty clear what we need to do. You go to your Bibles and you live there. (laughs) You know, when I was younger, especially when I was a teenager, I did a lot of things, I said a lot of things, and I was pretty sure about myself. But you know, now that I look back on it, especially, you know, Facebook tries to bring up some memories of what you said and did 10 years ago, and you just cringe. Did I really say that? Oh my goodness, how immature. Whoa, how stupid of me. You see, thank God, I've matured. And so I look back and say, how immature. How immature. And you know, 20 years from now, hopefully, a more mature 50-year-old Jared, you know, would look back at the 30-year-old Jared and say, oh, how immature. (laughs) Some of the things that I said. That's how you mature, right? You, You mature. Now, here's the flip side to it. When I look back, though, when I was younger, there were some things that I don't cringe, that I never regret, and I don't think I ever will. And every single one of them, always can be traced back to the Word of God. Always. You want a life well-lived? You want that when you're in your deathbed, you can look back at your life and not be ashamed of it? When your children and your grandchildren and your friends look at your life, you won't be ashamed of it? Well, here is God's Word. Abide in it. Like the psalmist say. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and it guides me along straight paths. Now do you know if you're trusting in God's word like that? Well, here's a test, a simple test to check yourself. Now don't say it out loud, just answer it in your own hearts. And the test is a test of your decisions. How do you make decisions? Small decisions, big decisions. Where am I gonna work? Who am I gonna marry? How am I gonna spend my money? How am I gonna spend my weekend? Whatever. The question is, who do I consult first? And who do I obey at last? What has the greatest weight in my considerations? Now, you see, the great temptation in this case is to say, you know what, I'm gonna rely more on human wisdom. Here's what the culture says, here's what my family says, here's what I say. Now, the fact is, sad truth is, many Christians, even me most days, is we tend to rely and trust human wisdom so much that we don't even think to consult God's Word. (laughs) Now, you may not say it like that, but let's be honest. Let's, Let's just be brutally honest with ourselves. Just sit on that question for a moment and ask yourself, how do I make decisions in life? Because if God's Word is not the first and greatest, then that just means you're betting your life on what mere men and women have said. And is that really what you want? Is it really? Are you really that confident in what people tell you? Are you really that confident in yourself? We can only boast in the word of God. That's the true wellspring that will never dry up. We cannot ignore it or replace it or dilute it. And so what many of us perhaps need to say is we need to do a ritual boast. You say to your own hearts, I know I can't make it in life. And even if I had all the wisdom of this world, I still cannot make it. But here is God's word. Here is what he says, here is what he reveals, here is what he commands, here is what he promises. And in that word, I can have the courage to move forward and be sure and be confident. That's where I can boast. Would you you want to do that right now in your seats silently? And perhaps for some of us, you, you do it every morning if you have to so that before you go out into the world, into the battle... You boast again in the word, and you pick it up, and you hold fast to it like a sharp sword for the battle. You boast in his word, and then it will lead you to boast in the cross of Christ. See, every time you take up God's word, well, God's word takes you up to the cross, up the cross. All of scriptures bear witness to me, Jesus said. The Old Testament promises me and longs for me and foreshadows me. And in the New Testament, it it testifies to me. It flows out from me. It promises a future in me. All of Scripture, the heart is Jesus Christ. And if the Word of God is the wellspring, the living water that comes out is Christ and His cross. That's why Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, again, that does not mean Paul is trying to constantly empty his mind of everything. That's not it, right? Paul is a scholar, a brilliant scholar who never stops learning. Now, what Paul means here is I've made a firm commitment that Jesus is gonna be the center of my universe. I know nothing else. Everything else exists to gravitate and revolve around him. I decided, Paul says. Now, take for, notice for a moment that word decided, because that means there was a period of time where there was an indecision. There was a period of time where there was a painful choice he had to make, why? Because everyone knew about Corinth. The city of Corinth is all about my glory. It's all about my importance, my prestige. But the cross of Christ is about God's glory. And it's either or. It's a head-on collision between the two. The Corinthians were obsessed about their own prestige and glory. And so there were a lot of, you know, public speakers who would gather the crowds, right? And they would give an impressive speech, big words, big ideas, big brain moments, right? And then... The, the when it, when it was impressive, people would esteem this guy and recognize his greatness, and they would want to be associated with this guy. You know, I follow this guy. I follow this guy. So it's all about lifting myself up, pushing myself up, 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 up. My prestige, my glory, my greatness. But the cross doesn't push you up at first. It pulls you down. It, pushes, it pulls your face down to the ground. Why? Well, the cross says, <laughs> you're utterly nothing. You're utterly lost, hopeless. You're a hopeless case. That's what the cross is saying. You're a hopeless case. Apart from the cross of Christ, he had to die to save you. That's what it means. And when you're before the cross, you can't say, you, you know, you can't say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. No, you can't say that before the cross. The cross insists how utterly sinful your sins are. And so the cross means you're completely stripped of anything that you can be proud of. It completely strips any boasting in human greatness. There's no room for that. It's a complete humiliation for us. It brings you down to our knees in shame. And so, the great temptation, of course, is to choose something else that, you know, would be a bit more flattering to our egos, to our self-esteems. <laughs> See, the Corinthians were obsessed with themselves. It's my greatness, my greatness, my greatness, because this is the way that I'll get glory. If I can prove that I am great enough, that I'm good enough, then I'll be worthy, I'll be significant, I'll be praised, I'll be admired, I'll be Someone. Because the world says, parade to me and prove to me how great you are and you will have your thirst for glory quenched. But then the gospel comes along and says, no. You empty yourself. You let yourself be humiliated. You let yourself be utterly nothing before the cross. Then God gives you the living waters of glory. That's why Paul says, I decided to know Christ and His cross. Have you decided? Have you decided? Because the gospel says the way up is down. You don't get glory by pushing yourself up, up, up. You get glory by, push, by letting yourself be pulled down before the cross, down on your knees in shame. See, it's not, the way to glory is not by puffing myself up, Is to let myself be emptied. It's not human greatness, it's the weakness, it's the meekness of Christ. That's the way to true glory. What the world offers is never enough, it never stays, it's never satisfied anyone. But in Christ, true glory comes. The fullness of glory comes. In Him, I am truly recognized, truly someone, not just on earth, but in the heavens. In Christ, I am fully accepted, fully loved, not just by men, but with God himself, welcomed into the very heart of things. And that, of course, is what we are celebrating later in the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup speaks of the body broken and the blood spilled at the cross. And it speaks a twofold message. It speaks first to our great shame but then immediately it speaks of our greater glory. Can the world give you that? No, never, only the cross. And so, are you boasting in that? Well, here's again another simple test, a second test for you, okay? Earlier was a, question, a test of your decisions, here now is a test of your attention. Where are you drawing the attention to? Me or him? See, the Corinthians thought, you know, I'm gonna get people's attention to me and my greatness. That way I'll get glory. But Paul says, no, no, no. I'm not here to get you to look at me and say, wow. I'm here to get you to look at him and bow. That's the glory. That's the glory. It's not in me. It's not in our greatness. It's in him. And so the question is, where? Are we drawing the attention to? Is it me and my greatness? Is that it? When I talk with people, when I show my work, when I buy stuff, when I post anything on social media, is anything and everything about getting people to look at me? Or is it to him and him crucified? That reveals where we're really looking for the glory that we thirst for. And so perhaps what many of us need is a ritual boast. <laughs> it's a say to our hearts, you whisper to our hearts, and you say, Jared, don't you know, even if you had all the greatness of the world, you will still have nothing. Jared, don't you know that even if the whole world admires you, you will still feel empty. But here is the cross of Christ. Here, it speaks of my great sin, but it speaks of a greater Savior. Here I am someone. Here I am brought into glory. And here is where I can stand. You boast in the word. You boast in the cross. But that's not enough, is it? You can never get yourself there. You also need the third and last. You boast in the power of the Spirit. Paul says, here's what he relied on. He relied on the Spirit of God. He says, it's in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, that phrase, let's be clear, it's not talking about miracles. In just in the previous chapter, Paul said, the gospel does not rely on miracles to get the job done, to get it across to you and believe no. So, what does this mean? This just means that it's the power of the Spirit to bring the gospel home to our hearts, home to our minds, in our souls. It's His power that works in us. That's why Paul said his preaching was not in plausible words of wisdom. Now, Paul is not saying, you know, that he was unprepared, he was saying gibberish stuff, he was not organized. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul did his best. Paul preached with conviction, with reason, with logic, with evidence. But here's the difference. The Corinthians thought that it was their impressive speech. It was their Polish words. It was their brilliant mind that would get the job done. But Paul knew and he trusted that what gets the job done is not his ability or his charisma or his preparation. It's the Spirit of God. It's him who cuts to the heart. So let me just say this straight. You want a life, you want a faith that moves mountains. You want to finally just get out of your own fears and doubts and ego and just live a life of joy and obedience and peace. You want that? Well, what gets the job done is not you and your strength, but him. It's his power. It's a spirit in you. That's what gets a job done. Now, that does not mean that I do nothing. I just wait, and I just come every Sunday, and I wait, and I wait for it. No, no, no. Paul did his best. Paul put in the work. Paul used every weapon in his arsenal for the battle. But the X factor that he relied on was him. The power comes from him. That's what gets a job done. That's what wins the battle. Do you have that X factor in your life. And so here's a third and final test for today. A test of decision, a test of attention, and here now is a test of desperation. How desperate are you for the power of God to break in? Break into your life and change things and get it done. And here's what I mean, Christians would say, of course, we, we pray, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. I cannot do this, Lord, help me. But really, when, when it comes down to it, many of us look back and go back to what I have and what I can offer and what I can muster in myself. And what, just, just, what, what that just means is, well, you're not yet desperate enough. You still think that you can get it done with just a little boost from God. You're not desperate for the power of God to break in. Or perhaps you're a Christian who's just overly dependent on other people to get your life going. You know, I need a youth camp to get my spiritual life going. I, know I need a pastor to come and mentor me. You know, I need, I need someone to, to, to fix the mess in my life. You're overly dependent. Well, that just means you're not yet desperate enough. For God to break in, You still think you can get by with just second-hand spiritual power. Or you're a person who's tried the Christian life and failed and you're just saying, "You know, I can just this is okay. I'm okay with this." Well that just means you're not yet desperate enough. You think this is already OK. You're not desperate for the power of God to break in. See, Paul says, I had the Word of God. I know about the cross of Christ, but that is not enough. I need the power of the Spirit to come in and resurrect the dead parts of my heart. Are you that desperate, are you, are you really that desperate? Do you realize how utterly weak we are by ourselves? There's no human strength that could get the job done in our lives. In 1955, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, he was invited to speak at the University of Cambridge in England, and when word got out, there was a lot of controversy in it. Uh, a lot of letters and articles in the newspapers came out saying, how can this American fundamentalist talk to us about the blood of Jesus Christ? how primitive, how crude, how stupid. Don't waste the time of our best and brightest in Cambridge with people like him. And so Billy Graham, this is in his autobiography, he says he got a bit intimidated. And so the first few nights he was preaching there, he quoted a lot of Intellectuals, you know, existentialist philosophers and all that, quoting, quoting, quoting. And if you know Billy Graham, that's just not him. That's not his SOP. And Billy Graham realized, you know what? I'm not getting much traction with my listeners. And so he got down on his knees and he just prayed. He said, Lord, tonight I'm just going to preach the cross. I'm just going to preach the cross. And then that night he got up on stage and he began in the book of Genesis going all through the whole Bible just talking about every single sacrifice where there's blood and blood and blood and there's now Jesus Christ and his blood. All the things that the professors and the best and brightest were embarrassed about and mocked. And at the end of that night, to everyone's shock, 400 young men and women stayed to commit their life to Christ. There's the power. There's the wisdom. There's the glory. It's in the word. It's in the cross. It's in the spirit. What Billy Graham did is what Paul is saying, and it's what we need in our lives. We need to boast, to trust, to rely in the triune God, in His Word, in his cross, in his spirit. And what we need is the humility to say that my human greatness and human ability and human strength is not enough. I need him. And so in every decision, I will turn to his word. In all attention, I will turn to his cross. And in my desperation, I will turn to his spirit. This is the war cry of every Christian. This is our war cry. This is where we boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us before we move to a moment of silence. Our Father in heaven, boasting in ourselves has not gotten us anywhere. It's not moving the needle. Lord, we need you. It's not my wisdom, Lord. I don't know. It's not my strength, Lord. I cannot. It's not my power. I know how weak I am. It's your wisdom, it's your power, it's your strength that we need So if I were to cling, let me cling to your word and to your cross and to your spirit nowhere else. I'll boast in nowhere else, Father. This is our war cry. This is what we will say to ourselves each and every day. Let this be our boast. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace that gives us all these things. Thank you, Father. Speak to us and hear now the responses of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we'll move into a moment of silence, 30 seconds to one minute. Let's just sit in our hearts, sit in our seats, and speak from our hearts, say that war cry, and speak to God.